we begin our ministry at the same time. On a one-to-one -one basis, I find it real comfortable just simply to dress him as Levant. But, uh, of course, we are very happy for our brotherhood that we have together in the ministry. This man has lived for God honestly, conscientiously. He is a Christian. He is a minister of the gospel. He is full-time in prophetic seminar-type meetings. We enjoyed his presence in our church to a great extent, and he was a great blessing to us. He has a unique presentation that really is captivating as far as outside public is concerned, and it's been a great blessing to our fellowship. Brother LaVon Stevens. Thank you, Brother Pugh, and praise the Lord, everyone. It's such a privilege to be here today and actually to feel what we're feeling. I think every one of us are feeling something just like we did in the last prophecy conference, that God's doing something, that this is an important day to live in. I was happy when the Quest program in the very beginning began to reach out for the location of the church in the hour that we live. Amen. And I appreciate Brother Urshan and his view, not only of prophecy, but of the present day needs and what we can do as a church. As we travel throughout this fellowship, there's just something about what every one of us can feel, and that's a hunger. I think we're feeling something we didn't feel a few years ago. Now, it's not an unstableness. It's not really a fear, because the Bible said he does not give us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of a sound mind. But there's something we feel today. We feel that the Lord's talking to us. That he's trying to tell us that this is the day that our hearts need to be stirred. And I believe that it is. So when we feel this, it's, it's a little different spirit than we felt a few years ago. Though every one of us at that day, and I'm glad I lived in the day that I heard the old timers talk about the coming of the Lord. Amen. Back in the 40s, I was then touching ministry that then was 30, 40 years of age. And so as I listened to them, they were looking for the coming of the Lord. But they had never seen what we're seeing today. Many of the things that they preached 40 years ago, they talked about it, it will happen. And it wasn't too many years ago that a lot of us were talking about things that must come to pass. But oh, isn't it wonderful what we're talking about now? It's a difference. And I'm glad that it's that way. I want you to turn this, as we look today, to the book of Luke. We're going to begin by reading that scriptures that's been read so often in the book of Luke. However, most of us usually go down to the latter part of that. And I want us to go up to the 10th verse of the 21st chapter of the book of Luke. While you're looking, let me say that it's been just such a privilege to just to be asked to come and to share my part with this. Brother Saban last night, I appreciated so much the foundation that was laid. He and Brother Tenney this morning. Brother Curley, every one of us are interested in what he's talking about. We're watching that world. All you've got to do is to talk to anyone in your banking system, anyone that's there. If they have the Holy Ghost, there's something that the Lord seems to be telling them. There's a reluctance that they're feeling in that banking world. I think it's the Spirit of God talking to them. It's a check that's being put upon every one of us here at the end time. For we cannot forget, Second Peter told us, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I believe there's just one Spirit of God. 
Now the spirit that moved on those men in that day, I believe it's right here today. And the same spirit that caused them to feel the unction of the spirit of God, I believe that same unction is present today. That somehow God can talk to every one of our hearts and reveal to us those truths that are there. Now, right, we're going to go the word of the Lord. We'll be using quite a few things today, not only from the word of God here, but in, in slides that we'll be using in a moment. And I want us to just look quickly to these things that I believe God can tell us today. Now, notice in the 10th verse. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. Now, we don't ordinarily read that. We usually read some of the other scriptures, Matthew 24 or later on there. But I want you to notice, I believe that also is the inspired word of God. Now there will be in these last days along with the famines, the pestilences, then there will be fearful sights and also great signs. And I believe as we're seeing these things today, we are seeing God talking to us by the signs that are given this day. Now, as I notice, all the things that are being written into the Word of God, God is able to talk to our hearts. Let's ask Him right now. Our God, as you reach down, touch our hearts. Stir us by the mighty Spirit that comes as we believe Thee. Let us know that You're a living God. Feel after Your presence. Oh, hallelujah. We can thank you for it today, Lord. All right, you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, continue to hold them open there at this particular place. The Bible said in the 13th verse that as these things begin to happen, there may be a certain amount of persecution that will arise. I think that all of us as students of prophecy, and I'm talking to many students that are here today, just as we all are, we're inquiring at the Word of God. How does the Word of God fit into the hour in which we live? As we're moving into that age, and there is a difference, and I believe that, and somehow we have perhaps, personally I have overlooked it somewhat in the past, in referring to that time called the seven years tribulation. Forgetting that there are many things that have to come to a focal point as that time comes to pass. I believe that when you study the Word of God, you've got to go back 2,600 years ago, almost that time, when there was given to the prophet Daniel a vision. In that that he was given of the vision of the metal man, then the vision of the 70 weeks, that 70 weeks of years that is outlined there, finally ending in that last week called Daniel's 70th week. So as we see this all down to this focal point, I believe there are many other things that have to come to bear upon that end time. So I've looked at the day we live and look at it and the fact that this is the end time. These things are happening. There will be, and in some parts of the world, there is today severe persecution. And I believe there is set aside a certain little element of time called seven years of tribulation. But there are many other things in connection with that that I think we can call persecution of the end time. And none of us know exactly how that's going to go if the Lord tarries. 
Now notice this 13th verse. If these types of persecution come, it shall turn to you for a testimony of the 13th verse. Then in this 21st chapter, continuing in Luke, settle it therefore in your hearts. Hallelujah. I believe every one of us need to have a settled conviction today that this is the end time. And that's what we're feeling, that the Lord's doing some things, that he's bringing all these things to pass. Now in this 21st chapter, the 29th verse, and today we're speaking of how these end times relate not only to the hour we live and all these signs that these other brothers are talking about, but also the very moment we live in relation to the nations of the world. Because I believe that we are seeing God do some things right here at the end time. A long time ago, when the prophets of old began to speak of prophetic events, and that simply means that it would yet take place out in the future, God revealing it to them, it would be like a person standing on the 50-yard line. They could look down on either side of them, a man all the way from the goal line on that side to the goal line that way on the football field. And there could be five men every 10 yards down the line. Now, those men are out there. And let's compare that for a moment to prophecy. If you were to tell those men at a certain moment, one minute from now, I want us all to be standing on the other side of this football field, 50 yards away, on this football, this 50-yard line. The man that's down the goal line to reach that other side would have to walk twice as fast as the man that's here. When they start out, they would be further than they could reach on either side to the person that's standing there. It's easy to see the individual as he stands there. There's a lot of room all around him in those prophetic events right then. But when all of those 10 men, including yourself, now got to that other side, all at once there's a jumble. Amen. And it's hard to pick out those facts. And I think that's what we're seeing now as we get here at the book of Revelation. We're seeing all of these prophetic events that 2,600 years now prophecy is finally culminating here at the end time. And it's kind of hard to pick out those individual facts. They're all running together. Those 11 men trying to get there on that same spot are finding it hard to get there. And I think that's the problem that I'm having, the problem that every one of us are having. But I still believe that the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. Everything is perfectly on time. God's time clock is work, working perfectly. Now notice in this 29th verse, and he spake to them a parable, behold the fig tree and all the trees. Now, prophetic teachers, I think just about all of them have looked into the word of God called the nation of Israel, the fig tree. But when you begin to notice that he also adds all the trees. So I believe at the end time, God is saying it is not only the nation of Israel, but also you're seeing all the trees now. As God begins to deal with all the nations of the world and bring them toward this end time. So this is what we're seeing. It's God's time clock when you begin to look at Israel. I think that Israel does become God's time clock. Behold the fig tree and then all the trees. As you see what's happening. As the Lord looks down and begins to see we here upon this earth today go to the 
1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 33rd verse. And there you're going to find out how God is dealing with the nations of the world. As he deals with the nations of the world, he talks about give no offense to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And I believe the church of God is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And I believe that all the nations of the world are Gentiles except the Jews. Amen. So you're watching God as he deals here at the end time with Israel and then with all the nations of the world. And he brings them all together here at this end time. So notice in this 24th verse now of this same chapter, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until... Now, there's a definite time that God is putting in here until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So I want you to turn over now to the book of Romans, the 11th chapter. For we're dealing with that time clock called the nation of Israel. Remember now, when you're dealing with this Bible, you're dealing with the book of the people. And that's the Jews. It's also the people of the book when you study the Jews. And if you're going to find the nations of the end time, wherever you find them, you're going to find them in relation to how they relate to Israel in the Bible. As you begin to watch God deal with them in this end time prophetic truth. So as they relate to it, you begin to see the rise of that. Notice in the 11th chapter now of the book of Romans. I want to begin reading. We're going to read very fast. What then? Israel hath not obtained which he seeketh for. But the election hath he obtained, and the rest were blinded. Now there came a blinding to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now notice then the eleventh verse. Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall salvation is come to the Gentiles. For a reason far to provoke them to jealousy. I believe that God somehow in the end time as he deals with that nation of Israel, the church itself becomes that ingredient that causes them to recognize that there is a Messiah that they have forgotten. So as you see God dealing with them now. Now the 12th verse. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Fifteenth, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them be but life from the dead? And then he goes ahead in the 17th verse, identifies us as being that wild olive vine grafted in among them. Now come over then to the 23rd verse. And all, they also, if they abide still not unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Now the 25th verse. For it would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. I'm not going to have time, but I want you to know there is a mystery to the church that we are involved in today, and I'm thankful for it. The mystery of the Gentiles. Why he is called out a mystery of the Gentiles in this end time. And then as he deals with Israel here, notice how he says it. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. 
that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. I don't believe in the ten lost tribes. Amen. And I believe that God knows how to deal with Israel. I believe that God is dealing with Israel. And there's a strangeness in what you feel in the hour that we feel right now as God reaches to touch our hearts. There's something. You can't go to the land of Israel without feeling something while you're there. Not just because it's the land of Israel or the land of the Bible, but you feel it in those that you talk with. I stood in office in uh, Houston not long ago. I talked with the consul there at the uh, Ministry of Tourism there, or at the, the Israeli embassy actually, and had gone down, and he had introduced me to one of the businessmen. I walked down to his office, and the man was talking about some of the destruction that had gone on there in Israel and their archaeological digs and the things that they were doing and the things they were being accused of. And he said, Brother Stevens, it's not that way. They're accusing us, us of destroying things there. And when he made a statement, something just seemed to run up and down my backbone. He said, every one of those stones have a voice. And we're not destroying anything. Oh, hallelujah. And I believe that God is speaking here at the end time. If when the Lord rode that little mule into Jerusalem that day, as was so ably spoken last night, if God then was speaking of the time that those stones could cry out, this man says they're talking today. Somewhere I believe that God is dealing with the nation of Israel. He's dealing with all of the other nations here at the end time. But with this, remember, there is not the feeling in Israel today that you had even in 1973 in the Yom Kippur War. Up until 1973, they seemed to have the, what was called the Masada complex. That means that they're ready to die. That uh, 960 people out there on the top of Masada, very stirring when you go out there, but uh, they don't seem to have that anymore. In fact, some have labeled them the Samson complex. You remember what Samson did, don't you? He met. Now... Something's going to happen. If something happens to Israel, the world's going to know it. And there's something that they seem to say in this last hour. Remember in that Yom Kippur War when Israel was winning, and they came close to winning, and they came perhaps close to having uh, Russia move in at that time. We came mighty close to Ezekiel 38 in 1973. Now, as you read the history, and all of you can read books and tell you how we came mighty close in that day to Ezekiel 38, how Russia was even loading paratroopers at that time. Something seemed to happen. Now, remember that in that day, Israel had won the victory. The spy satellites that Russia had put into the orbit, they knew what was happening down there on the ground, and they knew that uh, Israel had now come within sight of Cairo. And uh, as you begin to look at it, uh, General Sharon, he came and was just biting at the bits to go down and capture Cairo, and he could have moved into Cairo. Not only that, the tanks were in about 17 miles of Damascus, Syria, after they'd gone over the Golan Heights, and they could have gone into Damascus, Syria. But the superpowers, the United States and Russia and the hotline and the so forth, the things that was going on, and the different things caused them to stop. Now, they know that. Israel knew at that time that every nation in the world had turned their back upon them except the United States. When they were winning and they had won the war, 
England, France, Spain, none of those nations would allow our planes to land and refuel. Finally, Portugal, after 10 days, allowed our planes to land in the Azores. And then we were able to resupply Israel. Even after Israel won the victory, they almost lost the war. When you begin to look at the things, because we could not supply them, Israel has not forgotten. So they're saying now, if there's another war, and it comes to that place. Time magazine in 1976 said that Israel at that time, in 76 and in 73, that they did have perhaps as many as 12 atomic bombs then. I don't know, Time magazine said that in 76. Now, if that world is coming upon us, and I believe that it is, don't you think it's time that we look to the Word of God and ask God to talk to our hearts and, and somehow see the world that could go up in flames and then to know that all of those things taking place, the book of Ezekiel, the 38th chapter, begins to take on a new meaning. And I want you to turn there before we go to the slides. As we look at these nations that are listed in the 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, I don't think we have any problem reading that 37th chapter. I believe that any of us, as we look at it, I believe that in this hour we see, we're seeing a generation that has finally come to pass in the land of Israel. And I believe that you're seeing the Valley of Dry Bones in that 37th chapter of Ezekiel. You're, if you're looking at it, you're seeing it in the land of Israel today. The Spirit of God is not there. And their problems are not over by a long shot yet. And I'll be explaining that from the slides in a few moments. The, well, all of us can say that very quickly. We know what's going to happen when the Antichrist moves in. Amen. We know that. So their problem is not over yet, but yet they are there, and we recognize that they are there. But now notice the 38th verse, 38th, 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel and the first, second verse. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. I'm not going to take time today to try to explain to you which many, many books that are out there that you could purchase today as they identify these places. But I believe that every one of us can very easily say that that is that land to the north because the Bible identifies. Now, the great superpower that is to the north of Israel today happens to be the nation of Russia and their satellites that are there. So as we move into this end time, we're seeing something that we have never seen in all of our past history. And we've talked about it, we've heard it preached. I myself, every preacher here is preached of that time that there would be a 10 nation confederacy made up out of the old Roman Empire. But though we could preach about it being way out in the future, it had never come into existence until January the 1st, 1981. Amen. Now people are worried and they're asking me everywhere. They say, well, Brother Stevens, I hear Portugal and Spain and others are asking. I said, well, that doesn't bother me at all. The Lord knows how to count. Amen. And when the time comes, it's just going to be 10. If somebody else comes in, I believe another will drop out at that time. I believe at the time that God recognizes it, there will be 10. And this fits so aptly into everything that God is saying. At the end time, there will be ten nations. We see it today. Then we watch all the other things as they take place. Notice now this great power to the north. And then he speaks of how this is going to happen 
Then the fifth verse, and I'm just going to identify this very quickly. We'll be using slides in a moment. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. Now this leads you to three great areas. And as you look at these three, three great areas, naturally, uh, you're looking at the old ancient Persia, which we know today as Iran. But it's more than just Iran. Old ancient Persia covered uh, perhaps Afghanistan, Pakistan, much larger area there. Go back and look in your geography. See how that great area over there will also join in with the Northern Confederacy. It was only two years ago that the Shah of Iran fell. He was joined and, and affiliated in a, in a great sense and tied in with the Western powers. Almost overnight, seven of our presidents, I believe, had visited him. And then almost overnight, the most stable government in the Mideast that was friends to, to the Western tumult. And now the power is reaching toward the north. They are far friendly to the northern powers than they are to us. Amen. So as we watch this begin to form, then he begins to speak of Ethiopia. And I believe that it means more than just the little town, the little country that we know as Ethiopia. If you want to go back, it means uh, black. I believe you're going to find that a great deal of Africa will be tied in with this power. As you watch the great confederacy of the end time all form around that little bitty tiny nation of Israel. It's, it's strange when you watch it. As they've already been through three major wars dedicated to annihilation and yet they're still there. Outnumbered 40 to 1 and God has still kept them there. <coughs> so we're watching this. Then you see it mentions Libya. Then uh, you say well is it just the country that we know of Libya? I believe it's much more than that. I believe perhaps it includes those Arab nations that are along there, Tunisia, Morocco. And then, of course, if you read in your paper just recently, uh, Libya has reached down, picked up Chad, which is a little bit south of her. And all of those nations, I think you'll find them here at the end time, affiliating with that great northern power. But the main thing is, the Lord knows how all of this is going to come about. And how he, through this man writing the book of Ezekiel all these many years ago, could come down and begin to talk about nations of the end time and tell us where they are. And all you've got to do is get your geography and look at those things that are there and know that the Lord knows the day in which we live. And it's, it's exciting when you begin to read it. You begin to see how God's fulfilling and bringing these things to pass. And all these things now are in position. I'm glad the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. How he's going to bring all this to pass. Now before I move to the slides, I want to read one last scripture from here. And that's in the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation. Brother Gavin is going to deal with this in the time that he speaks. And oh, it's so wonderful to listen to these men of the Lord as they look into the word of the Lord. But I want you to notice what's happening in this 16th chapter of the book of Revelation. The 12th verse there's a purpose in what God is doing. The nations of the world do not know it. First, you're talking about the rise of the powers of the Antichrist. There must be that rise. You're talking about the great powers of the East, the kings of the East. There is that in our present day. There is the great northern confederacy that is rising. There is a power to the south as the Arab nations begin to make that ring around Israel here at the end time. But they're really not realizing that all in all, God has a purpose in what he's doing. Notice in this 12th verse. 
And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of devils working miracles. Now that's the thing that we're looking at as we've listened to these speakers and you're going to be listening to those in the future. Remember that you have a sinister power at work in the world today. There's a power that's working. It's beyond governments, I believe. I believe you've got Satan in the background trying to work his will. Finally finding the man that we call the Antichrist that he will temple himself in. As you see this happening now and watch all of this, it's unclean spirits as they move out and they're working miracles which go forth of the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now notice the 16th verse. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now that's the destiny of the nations of the world. Everything else we're seeing is how God puts all these things together and how he brings it all to pass. I would encourage you, if you would, to go back to that 11th chapter of the book of Romans for just a moment as we move over to the slides. In the things that he is telling us and the things that he is doing, we might not understand a lot of the things to put them in there, but don't forget that this God who knows all things has a way of answering. Notice the 33rd verse. All the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And I think we can say amen. amen. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I think we can depend upon God doing exactly what he has said. And just as Brother Tenney spoke this morning in that wonderful message there, I don't think the Lord has invited any of us to set in on his counsels of the end time. Amen. All we can do is say, Lord, by your spirit, tell us what you have in mind. How unsearchable are those riches that are there. But yet in the midst of all there, his ways are past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord who hath been his counselor? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Are you glad you can praise God today? Let's just stand and praise him as we move over to the slides and prepare for the slides in a moment. You may be seated. All right, as soon as we are able to, are able to get these lights closed, and we're going to have to have this one on the pulpit turned out, if someone will, please. Amen. Turn the one on the pulpit out. Thank you.
In looking to the word of the Lord, and we'll have to dim all the house lights as much as much more than than what we have now, if you will. Looking to the word of the Lord, it becomes our final answer. It becomes what the Lord's telling us. It becomes what the Lord's showing us and how he's bringing these things to pass at the end time. For we're talking about what I have termed treasures. Now, that that everybody possesses is not a treasure. It's that that's rare. I believe God, by his spirit, moving on those holy men, can talk to us and tell us today what he's doing. We can understand what's happening to the nations of the end time. Why God, as he will bring them all, to this end time that we live in. John, the first chapter, the first verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So all you've got to do is walk out into the heavens that are over your head each night. And when you can see those stars up there, know that that's the heavens that God made. Now, the astronomers are still discovering galaxies that are out there way on the edge of the universe. But I believe that my God knows every one of them. If he wanted to, he could call any of them by name because these are his heavens. So as we look at this exciting world, as you see in the distance here, that's not a moon, that's the earth. The natural eyes, just like ours, have gone to the moon and looked back and they saw the earth. And the earth looks so different when you see it from space. I think it looks smaller. One astronaut said it was just like a spaceship sailing through space. But I believe that God made that world and made it in a special way for a special purpose. And I believe that that world is in his hands. Amen. Out of all the galaxies of the heaven, he made one little particular thing that we call Earth. And I'm glad that he did. That enables you and I today, today not only to be here rejoicing in the Holy Ghost, but to think of an eternity to dwell with him. All because he made a place called the earth. That's why 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, the 20th verse, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Believing that God can talk to us, believing that he has already spoken. Because when he said in Malachi, the third chapter, and the sixth verse, I am the Lord and I change not. What he's going to do, how he's going to bring it about, and how it will be fulfilled. Sister Stevens, fix that just a tiny bit, if you will. In answering and bringing to pass these things that are happening in our lifetime. All right, thank you. Now, when we go to the book of Daniel, actually, Daniel becomes that great prophetic book of the Old Testament. And I think it becomes the foundation of truths of what we're studying today. How God would use a heathen king. Sometimes we can't think of God using heathen nations at the end time. Remember, one of the greatest truths in the word of God was given by a dream to a heathen king. Now, when the heathen king dreamed that dream, he forgot it. But I believe there was a purpose in him forgetting it. But he was disturbed, calling in his soothsayers, his astrologers, and, and the wise men, and they could not give him the interpretation. He said, I'm going to cut your heads off. I don't blame them for looking worried. They weren't in touch with the unknown. They weren't in touch with a God that could give the answer. And they were worried that they were going to lose their head. But there was a young man in the kingdom that was in touch with a God that could give the answer. Daniel went before the king and said, I believe God will give me the answer. I don't know where he will, but give us a chance to pray. And then the Bible said in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, the 19th verse, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And from that point on, it is not called Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's called Daniel's vision. 
So Daniel's vision becomes now the prophetic truths of what God's going to do. And he tells the king, there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. This is God's method. This is God's way of telling us prophecy that has not yet happened. And when you see this here at the end time, and you recognize the day and the hour in which we live, knowing that these things that are brought about, the answer, the hour in which we live, that this metal image, it's not a beautiful thing, but this is the way God is saying, I have a purpose. In that metal man, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet, a mixture of iron and clay, 2,600 years of prophecy is laid out right there. Now, we usually lay it down for chart purposes, but that metal man is still standing and will remain so until the end time and the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So as you see this metal man from the time, almost 2,600 years ago when it started, down to the present day, God said, this is what's going to happen in the latter days. Then he turns to that heathen king and said, the first kingdom, because we're speaking of kingdoms, is the kingdom that you are the ruler over. Thou art this head of gold. So looking at that heathen king, he could say, this great Babylonian empire is the head of gold. Go back in your ancient history and you can see it. The geography pictures the great Babylonian empire. But that isn't the end. He begins to paint the picture of that that is yet to come. For he said there will be another kingdom after we're dead and gone. We know it as the Medo-Persia kingdom. For after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So the kingdom came, the great Persian empire. They were always stronger than the Medes. So the great Medo-Persian empire that stretched across the world, much larger now, but not as valuable as the head of gold. And then there would be that third kingdom, the kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the king of Greece would come. And now you would see that third kingdom in that Grecian kingdom or the Macedonian kingdom, stretching all the way from the country of Greece, some say all the way to the borders of China. The great kingdom of Alexander the Great. So you see, that kingdom, the third kingdom, long after Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar are gone, these things will come to pass. Then that fourth kingdom, that shall be strong as iron. Look back in your history and watch how it switched from the eastern power. Now it goes not only, it used to start here at Greece, go all the way to China. Now it starts here and goes to the western power and reaches to the Atlantic Ocean, the great Roman Empire. And those are the only four empires that God ever recognized as he reveals the future. He tells you how these kingdoms tell a picture of things to come. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to bring it about. Then the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, the second verse, this is 57 years later. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. In the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. Now, when you're looking at that, I believe it's more than just a sea like this, but he said, I saw when I was looking at that, four great, great beasts came up from the sea, and they were diverse or different one from another. A lion, a bear, a leopard, and a terrible beast. So he sees these as they arise. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. By beheld till its wings were plucked, it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. So he shows him the very nature of these kingdoms now. 57 years later as he talks about it, he shows him this lion with eagle's wings. 
Now this was right after he had made a trip and spent the night with the lions. So I think he knew what a lion looked like. Now, but he knew, knew that this was different. This lion had eagle's wings. So he knew that God was telling him a picture of something to come. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. It had three ribs in the mouth of it between the, its teeth. And they said, Thus unto it arise, devour much flesh. So then the bear with three ribs in its mouth would come. So the second great kingdom would rise. And then after this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So he sees a monstrosity now here in this third kingdom. He sees the, the leopard with the four heads and the four wings just exactly like it would happen. When Alexander the Great died at an early age, four of his generals took over, and you would find now this third kingdom. And after this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So finally that terrible beast, this is the one that Daniel worried and asked for more information about. That terrible beast, the nondescript beast of that fourth kingdom. But it had ten horns. So you see, has God revealing how this will come to pass? The head of gold, the lion with eagle's wings, both of them speak of the same kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. And when you're talking of that chest and arms of silver, and you're talking of the bear with three ribs in his mouth, you're talking of the same kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. Then when you're talking then of that thighs of brass, or you talk of the four-headed beast and the, that had the four wings, you're talking of the kingdom of Greece, both of them painting a picture of the same kingdom. And then the legs of iron, and then that terrible beast with the ten horns, both of them depicting the same kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. The Lord knows how to paint a picture. He painted that picture in the book of Daniel. He speak of, speaks of them coming up out of the sea. But I don't believe he meant waters such as that. Revelation, the 17th chapter, the 15th verse. And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, for the horse said it, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. This is how God is bringing it about. This is how God is fulfilling it here at the end time. Go over to the New Testament, and you find the same continuation now of prophecy. And you see how God relates Daniel to the book of Revelation. As that man, John the Revelator, began to see those things in his vision that God gave him. 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, I stood upon the sand of the sea. So a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, his feet as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. I believe the dragon here means the devil, Satan. So you watch this final now, as you get down to the end time, the beast that Daniel saw. And yet you see the relation to the same beast because you're going back to the book of Daniel and seeing the same beast in a composite beast in the book of Revelation. But you see them given in a different manner. When Daniel looked at it, he looked one direction. He saw the lion, the bear, and then the leopard. When John the Revelator comes along, he sees the leopard, the bear, and the lion, just like he's looking back to where Daniel stood. So you're seeing this beast here at the end time. You're watching now the composite beast in this 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. It isn't a beautiful beast, but it's that beast, 
It's the political power. It's all of the things that come together here at the end time. Finally, just as in the beginning, you see that man called Nebuchadnezzar. He looks at the man and said, Thou art the head of gold. He's not just talking about a man. He's talking about the kingdom that he ruled over. And so it is here at the end time. As you're watching this man called the Antichrist come to this terrible beast that has the seven heads, the ten horns, and the ten crowns. All of this here in our day. Now, I believe that that same political power, just as the book of Daniel shows two different pictures, I believe it shows the same type of picture in the book of Revelation. It shows the, the, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. There are divergent views on that, certainly, but I believe that they all speak of the same thing. It's hard for me to take the white horse and make it mean one thing and then the red horse means something else. I believe every one of them mean the rise of that time of the Antichrist because he comes as a man of peace and by peace shall deceive many. So you see that man of peace coming. When the Antichrist comes, he has a bow but no arrows. But what he doesn't gain by peaceful means, then he gains as the rider of the red horse has a great sword in his hand. And then comes that third when you look at the black horse and his rider, he carries a pair of balances in his hand. finance and don't forget it friend in that day food value value will be felt in the hands of the antichrist as he comes with a pair of balances in his hand and then in the midst of all of that the famines death and hell and all the things that are released in that fourth horse as you see the rider because you're coming down now because remember the statue as you read those different metals that were there coming to the end time you saw a time when it had feet, a mixture of iron and clay. I believe that we're in that time today. The formation of this end time is upon us. And we're watching it. We're seeing the things that are taking place. We're seeing the formation, and I believe that it can easily be in place today where we're seeing that that we've always preached about but never had a ten-nation confederacy out of the old Roman Empire. And it just now coming to, into existence about two months ago. So now we're seeing Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and out of these nations of Europe, you're watching the formation of the final end time of what God's going to do. As we see what God is doing, we see that the, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and ascended there, the church age came into existence. 2,000 years have taken place. I believe that, as Brother Urshan said last night, they have looked for the coming of the Lord from the days of the Apostle Paul. They were looking for the Lord to come then. Every generation has looked for it. But they have really never had everything fulfilled like you have today. But then at that end time, there's a time called the tribulation period. I, that's the time of these feet, a mixture of, of the time of getting together with all kinds of federation of nations because he speaks of that. As the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. The second chapter of Daniel, the 42nd verse. It's an amalgamation. It's a federation, loosely knit. Not just one head, but 
The same as Brother Curley was telling you this morning, these other speakers of the past and will be talking in the future. These things are that that's slowly coming to pass here in our lifetime. If you go to that land of uh, Europe today, you'll, you'll be able to see them there. Sister Stevens, that could be a little sharper. I, that is working out. As you see the things that are happening, you watch Ireland, Britain, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, Italy. Now you're watching the nation of Greece being added. So you have these ten nations. This is the headquarters building in uh, Brussels, Belgium. And these things that are there, walk along and count the ten flagpoles and the eleventh that is there. Right now, in position, this is the headquarters that they have, all getting and coming together here at the end time. So the old Roman Empire, as it reached out, you could look back in your old uh, geography books and see those things in the way that they were able to put themselves together then. And then see how it's forming today, the same thing out of the same old nations as you begin to watch the rise of this Antichrist kingdom, seeing that it's all coming to fulfillment. And you add the two together, and it's striking when you see the resemblance that here today we're seeing very similar to what Daniel prophesied almost 2,600 years ago. And then you get out of that book of Revelation, see it fulfilled in the book of Revelation. The Federation of, of Europe, the economic, the European Economic Community has its president, Mrs. Simeon Veil, a French woman that was elected, a Jewish woman. She became the first president of the European Economic Community. Now they meet with a parliament, very similar to what we have when we look at the nations of our representatives in Washington. Each one of those, Ireland has so many, Ireland has 15 seats, Great Britain has 81 seats, different seats that go along with it, Belgium has 24 seats, the different seats that come along here at the, the different voting constituency, but they have all these members, 410 members as they vote there, very loose, a federation of nations in place in Europe today. Now notice how this man of sin comes. I'm not going to try to identify him personally today, only to tell you, I believe all of the things are being put together, all of these signs, the computers, everything necessary, the world of finance, the, world, the political world, the trilateral commission with a one world idea, all of these things today are looking forward to that time that there can come a man. Now when this man comes, he shall confirm. Now I used to say he's going, the Antichrist is going to come and make a covenant. It really doesn't say that. That word, of course, goes back when you use the word confirm, says make strong. I believe there will be something in existence and he's going to come along and help when the one that has made that covenant cannot continue to, to verify it. So that's why I can't look forward and say now, if somebody makes a seven-year covenant, I'd be afraid. I used to make a statement such as that. But I believe that somehow here at the end time, there's going to come a time all we can do is at the midst of the week we can see when this is done. And so we can see the breaking of that covenant when he comes. Very similar to some of you may not be aware that uh, this was back last spring in April. Israel wants a U.S. all cites the 1977 agreement. You may not be aware that we have pledged to supply Israel's oil for 14 years. All of their needs. Now, that's an agreement we made. I won't say that that's the Antichrist covenant, but I'm saying somebody's going to make a covenant like that. Israel, is uh, the European Economic Community, is chomping at the bits to get and help Israel right now. If you're reading your papers, you'll notice how they want to get down there. So we're seeing the seeds 
and all of it being set in this world of today. So the coming man of destiny that we call the Antichrist, I believe he's coming. He's going to come at that end time because you see these ten horns. And he speaks of this. If this is these ten nations, notice how Daniel puts it in the seventh chapter, the 24th verse. The ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings. So if these ten economic, the European economic community nations are the nations of the end time, now we're looking for that one that comes along that will be different and yet he will subdue three of these that are there. And then you see this seven-headed beast, the political power that arises. I know you can go back and pick it up in an ancient way, but you can also pick it up in that 13th chapter. He has subdued three of those nations, and now you have the seven-headed beast with the ten horns and the ten crowns in that 13th chapter. I believe that is when Satan finally finds that man, the man called the Antichrist, and he comes down to the earth. Now, he's always wanted to do that. In the 12th chapter of the book of, of uh, Revelation, you speak of that time that Satan is cast into the earth. Right now, he's the prince of the power of the air. He finally finds that man called the Antichrist and begins to deal with him. And then, in the midst of the week, and I believe it's about this three and a half year period, he finally finds that man, the demonic creatures that are released out of that bottomless pit in Revelation 9, and then you find him upon the earth. So you find here that Satan, through the Antichrist, is worshipped as God in the temple of God. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. Finally, Satan has reached that peak that he's always sought after. I'm going to give you something to think about today. It's perhaps not orthodoxy but uh, in our thinking, but think with me for a moment. We always think about those three of the end time. We talk about the beast. We talk about the false prophet. We talk about the dragon. We are one of the large churches in existence today that believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. How many believe that today? Amen. Sure you believe that. And they call that the Holy Trinity. Now over here it's been called the unholy trinity. If these three are one, maybe these three are one. Give you something to think about as you see it all put together, because just as you talk about the Father, just talk about the Son, just talk about the Holy Ghost, you also talk about the beast and the power that the political power does. You talk about the second beast, the false prophet. You talk about the dragon, the mark of the beast. Here you talk about the Antichrist. That one is all the time. If you try to put him into some kind of religious leader, then that's the one that's going to give the mark. So it fits into my thinking mighty much more when I put it as these three are one. And you put them all together at the end time and see how God's going to deal with them. You say, can the devil do that? Is this Satan all put together here at the end time? Notice back in Luke, the fourth chapter. The devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and all the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will give it, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus said, it is written. God has a plan. And I believe that plan is working perfectly today. But Satan is still looking for that man, that whomsoever I will give it. And he's going to find that man in the Antichrist.
and he's going to be worshipped. Men in the past have tried to do that, but they were never quite able to do it. But through the mark of the beast, he will compel the world to worship him, for he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, as they bring all these things together, that no man might buy. And notice now these three ways that they follow after the Antichrist. Save he that had the mark, everybody will take the mark. Or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. As they all worship this end time beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. And his number is six hundred three score and six. Six, six, six. Now, Brother Treese, this is, happens to be his logo, and I, I appreciate using it. But I want you to know here at the end time, you're going to see more and more. And I'm not going to dwell on that today, but it's showing up in a lot of ways. It's become that international number in so many ways. It's already showing up that there can be such a thing as an international number. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Think to change times and the laws. And they shall be given into his hand until the time and times and the dividing of time. So you're right down to that three and a half years of the end time, how all this will come about. Neither shall he regard the gods of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now we spent several months out in California, and I want you to know the political implications around San Francisco and the homosexual world. It's astounding. And then to know that somehow when you begin to look for it, to find that in the word of the Lord, he doesn't even regard the desire of women. How do you know what's going to happen here at the end time? The harlot church and all the things that go along with it. I think it's time we got a hold of God. Preached and read that first chapter of the book of Romans and understand what God is doing. For I believe that God has laid all this out through this metal image, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then that church age of 2,000 years that has come along with this time gap. And then the ten toes of the end time. And then he sees a stone come back. And that stone comes back to destroy that image. It's all done through these 70 weeks. The 70 weeks of Daniel. And the things that are brought about in the answer of the way. For 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. How God's going to bring it to pass. In these 70 weeks and the first 69 weeks that would come about. Then there would be the seven sevens, the 62 sevens, and then the time gap that we know of 2,000 years since the Messiah was cut off, and then that last week of Daniel, the final 70th week. So these are these 70 weeks of Daniel laid out. It begins with the time that Artaxerxes I gave the commandment to go back and rebuild the walls of, of Jerusalem. So you can very easily, 445 B.C. laid out to go back. Then at the end of these seven sevens, or seven weeks of the 49 years, the walls are completed, just like the Lord said that they would be. Then there would be that second set of, uh, in the week, 62. The seven, the 62, you've got 69. And the Bible says the Messiah will be cut off at the end of that 69 weeks. For after three score and two weeks, or 69 weeks, and the second number, the 62, shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. I do not believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross for any sin that he had ever committed. No guile found in his mouth, but he died that you and I could have salvation today. He was not cut off for himself, but as he died in that age that somehow cut off here, a church age could come into existence and you and I could be in the beloved today. 
I'm not thankful that he died, but there's something on the inside that makes me glad that I have a chance to have eternity. I could not have it unless it was done in that measure. And then the Bible speaks, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, when this prince comes, this Antichrist, when the time gap is over with, you're getting right down to this last seven. There's 2,000 years have passed during this church age, and you're down to that final time now. That's why the tension is taking place as it is in that vital waterway over there. All around that Persian Gulf, God is doing things. Now why he put that all there, I believe he knew it in the beginning that it would cause the tension of the end time. He didn't put it in Israel. He could have, but he didn't. But he put it over in the land that we know is the Persian Gulf area. So it becomes that place now that God has put it here at the end time. From 200 miles up, you can see it. You can see these islands. These are the islands that Iraq and Iran are arguing over. That's why Iran says this is all the land mass of Iran. And they say we can make it a, a sea of fire, and they can if they so wish. So they have loading capacities over in here. So they can turn oil loose in here, and there'd be no tankers going in and out. Now, as you look at this, October Time magazine, October in 1980, talked about perhaps as much as 60% of the world's energy now is coming out of the Persian Gulf area. This end time that's picturing it here, the San Francisco Chronicle talked about it on February the 24th. We're not in control here. It's not Washington, the OPEC nations, and out comes a compact. Yes, sir. Yep. The big cars are no longer. It's not Washington that's going to set the stage. It's going to be the OPEC nations. So now we're seeing things change. We're watching it move over to that area. So it talked last year, Soviet arms abroad. Analysts believe oil in the Persian Gulf is target of Moscow weapon buildup in friendly nations. Now that's in this day that we live, we're watching this. When we see this king of the north make his move toward the south, and we see that this 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel can be fulfilled, October the 30th and 78. By 1983, most analysts predict Russia will achieve an unprecedented strategic advantage over the U.S. and will be able to hold, hold it for an optional period of five years or so. The overwhelming question, therefore, is whether the Soviet Union will try to take advantage of this optical period before problems beset them in the later 1980s. We know, all the analysts believe, President Reagan is talking about it. This is a critical time for the United States. We're really not aware of what the next year or so may bring. Now, Milton Friedman, who is an editorialist in Newsweek, made this statement. No communist government has ever been replaced by or developed into a democracy. It kind of stunned me when I read that in Newsweek magazine. When you see their reaches around the world as they continue to move. And then to know that right now, the U.S., according to February 1st, 81, U.S. stockpiling in Norway to counter the Soviets as they make their move, this king of the north moves. Then, of course, in February 1981, U.S. Mideast plan, stop Russia. Can you read that and see what God's talking about in the 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel? 
For he said in that chapter, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come into the past that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. They want to move down into that area. Then he also said, I will put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth in all thine army. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. As they moved down into that country called, that we call the Holy Land, and down in that Persian Gulf area. It shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. I believe that this is one of the events that is impending. This is not the time of the final battle of Armageddon, perhaps, because you see some scriptures in here that lead you to believe otherwise. Because it said in Ezekiel, the 39th chapter, the 11th verse, And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. So as we watch them move, it seems that this seems to be an impending thing. Then it tells how it perhaps will happen. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord shall smite all the peoples that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Now this is not something that cannot be used now. This is the neutron bomb. We're deploying it. And the others, the nations, France has it. There are others that perhaps will. As uh, it's rumored that we will be able to deploy the, the neutron bomb that destroys not property, but people in the very similar way that you just read. As their tongues consume, their houses, their eyes that will perish away. Then the ninth verse said in that 39th chapter, And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the buckles, and the bows and the arrows and the hand staves, and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. So I believe that somewhere we're looking at this period of time yet before that middle of the tribulation period. Then he said, he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We're cut off from our parts. Oh, that 37th chapter begins to live again in the book of Ezekiel. He shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So when you feel that nation of Israel, and all you've got to do is go to that wailing wall or the western wall, and you begin to feel something. Watch their worship there. See their sincerity. And know that somehow they're crying out for the Messiah. Now things are happening in Israel. A lot of it happened in 1980. It didn't happen before some of the things. In the March of 1980, second temple wall was found. The remains of a wall thought by some scientists to be part of an ancient temple sacred to the Jews was unearthed 10 years ago. But archaeologists suppress news of it because of its concern for its political implication. If the find was part of the eastern wall, as the second temple is claimed, it will make the site the holiest spot in Judaism, surpassing even the Wailing Wall focus of prayer for centuries. So what you're saying is, for 10 years they kept quiet. Now in 1980, they have announced that they have found this second wall. Notice something else. In February, they announced that they were coming out with it about the time we had the Philadelphia conference. The banks were shut down for three days. Now, Israel, for the first time since Bible days, has its new money. Israel introduced a new currency now, 
name for the money that the merchants used at the time of Jesus and the biblical King David used to buy a site for the ancient temple. They have not had their own money since Bible days. They have it now. Then along with that, the Jerusalem Great Synagogue. And friend, that synagogue is just about completed. Many of you that were there drove by that. Fortunately, I was able to take a letter of introduction, and while I was there, I was given a tour all over the building. I went from the top to the bottom. They answered any question and showed me anything that I asked to see. And that is just about completed. All they like is putting the walls in, or the windows in, Everything else is completed. Downstairs will seat 1,000. The balconies will seat 500. 70 meters from front to back. Beautiful thing. And I believe that that can be used as the Antichrist temple that God recognizes in that second chapter of the book of 2 Thessalonians. Then, also last year, Israel declares for the first time united capital of Israel. Notice what they said. Defying a certain wave of international criticism, Parliament voted overwhelmingly Wednesday to declare a united Jerusalem as the official capital of Israel. And notice what they said. For now and all generations to come. There's something else that Israel has. They now have a common language called Hebrew. They've got four things that they have that they have not had before. It kind of does something to me when I think of it. Here at the end time, as God brings all these things together, right in this exciting time that we live. But now the Bible speaks of this prince that's going to come. In the midst of the week, he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. When he does and breaks this covenant, it shall come to pass in the land, saith the Lord, two parts of it shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left in it. I believe that in that struggle with the Antichrist, two-thirds will die there in Israel. And I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and will test them as gold is tested in the 13th chapter of the book of Zechariah. So you're seeing now how this third part must go. Now notice the 16th chapter of Jeremiah. Why must Israel now go through this again? For 2,000 years they've been tested. At first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double because they have defiled my land. So there are two phases of Israel's punishment. And then you notice what happens. Phase one, they were scattered among the nations to be despised and suffered persecution and jealousy at the hand of the Gentiles. The 11th chapter of the book of Romans, it's all there. But also now there's a second phase. They return to their land in unbelief to accept Satan, Superman, the Antichrist as her king. And then here at the end, in this time of Jacob's trouble, now they're going to be cast out again. Israel yet has much problems ahead. For he could say, multitudes now, multitudes, in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. God knows what he's going to bring to pass. This is what we read earlier here, noticing how he's bringing it about. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. As God brings all these nations of the end time, You've got them all in place. The western powers, the king of the north, the kings of the east. You've got then the Egypt and the Arab powers, the great king to the south because Egypt has not divorced itself from the Islam world yet. And all of them surrounding that little bitty tiny nation of Israel. And the Bible paints that picture how they will all finally end up at the battle of Armageddon. 
that Euphrates River beginning up in Turkey, going all the way down to the Persian Gulf, how God brings all these things together. Then he brings them to that place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. I believe God knows how to bring all this to pass. It's a beautiful place when you look at it. You can't keep from your heart being stirred when you stand there in Megiddo, look out across that plain, but it's there. It's all in the Bible. It's the staging place for the end time. It's that end when all of this will take place that Daniel talked about, that the Bible's speaking about. There was a tribulation map. All of these things, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, ending up when the Lord comes back at the battle of Armageddon, and I believe he's coming because Daniel was being able to tell that old king, this is how your dream ended. Thou sawest that the stone was cut out without hands, which both the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them in pieces. God has a plan. He's going to fulfill it. And I believe he will come back and destroy every vestige of the Gentile powers. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer thrashing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. That's what's going to happen to the Gentile powers. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is how God's going to end it up. Because I believe my God has a plan. After he comes back in that 19th chapter of the millennium or a thousand years from then down to the end time and eternity begins. Everything just like he said. Now remember in that 21st chapter of the book of Luke, the 28th verse, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. And I emphasize that word began, not when they're all over with. When you see all these signs spoken about in that 21st chapter, don't wait till they're all over with. But as they begin to come to pass, it's time to look up. It's time to lift up our head. I believe our redemption draweth nigh. We feel something down on the inside. I believe it. The 14th chapter of Zechariah talks about it. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. There shall be a very great valley. Half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. I believe Jesus is coming back again. That world of the things that's there. And it's never happened before, but one of these days it's going to happen. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Oh, hallelujah. Tell me what that name is. Oh, tell me again. It's never been that way. All the world, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God's bringing it to pass. God will fulfill. It's all there. Standing there that day on the Mount of Olives, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Oh, I believe just as real as he left, one of these days he's going to come back. The 19th chapter says every eye is going to see him. You say, Brother Stevens, where is he coming from? I don't know. But this is a picture of some of those galaxies that are out there. I believe he's going to come back one of these days. Then when you begin to talk about him coming back, the Bible says as he comes back, it's not just coming back. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I want to be among that number when he comes back. Oh, hallelujah. I believe I can be among that number when he comes back. If I'm looking for the coming of the Lord, it's there. I believe Jesus is coming. We've got the outlook. We've got the outlook. 
because it's all there in First Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand and praise him for it right now. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God to love God. Oh, to praise him for it. To thank him for his love. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can turn on the lights if you wish. Amen. Are you glad you can trust him today? Are you glad you can believe he's in control today? It's not an accident to trust him. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He's worthy of all praise. I'm glad I know who he is. Everything is perfectly in order and everything is perfectly on time. Jesus is coming back.